0: This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 239, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, January 21st. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 239. It's our Comic Reviews episode for releases from Wednesday, January 21st. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Today we're looking at 14 comics that came out last Wednesday. Um, as we speak, new comics. Are flying off the shelves. Uh, as I record this, it's eleven fifteen in the morning on Wednesday, the twenty uh, eighth. Which means new comics are officially uh, on sale. Most comic stores, at least in Toronto, open up at eleven. So, uh, new comics are now on the shelves. But what better time to look back at last week than right now? So let's talk about fourteen comics that came out last week. And for once, I actually have a fairly, I think, even uh, keel, or at least even. Um, uh, kind of makeup between Marvel and DC. I often have more Marvel than DC, and that's just because I am a little bit of a bigger Marvel fan than DC, but I think today we finally have a, a better um, kind of makeup. Uh, maybe not completely. I think it's about seven and seven. I, I could be wrong. Anyways, let's just jump right in. Uh, first up this week, alphabetically, we have all new X-Factor number 20. It's the last issue of the series, and to be honest, uh, it's just kind of a weird... Book. I mean, so if you look at the first page, you have the um, kind of recap page, and Peter David Peter David always has a part where he kind of mentions something. Uh, so first, it mentions the team, then it has, like, what happened before, and then he mentions something else, usually with regards to his own life, etc. And this time it says, Meanwhile, in case you haven't heard, this is the last issue of X-Factor, at least for now. I'm hoping that we will return at some point, especially after people get a load of the end of this story. So it's written by Peter David, artwork by Carmine DJ Domenico and Will Slinny, who's the current artist on Spider-Man 2099. And it just felt like a weird last issue. I mean, you have the team dealing with what happened... In the last particular issue, you have um, uh, Akamax coming to meet with Serval, and so Harrison meets up with um, um, Miguel O'Hara, who's, you know... It's interesting, because in the current continuity in Spider-Man 2099, he's in the middle of Spider-Verse, so I guess at some point he goes on this trip with... Um, with uh, Tiberius Stone and meets up with uh, Harrison, and we learn that there's actually some history here. and uh, In fact, Harrison's actually from the future, which is interesting, but we don't actually get to see much about what's kind of going on there. Um, I guess Warlock and Danger may or may not have weird sex in this issue. That's kind of strange. Um, the whole thing called, felt kind of weird, and it kind of leaves it off in an end note that's strange because the idea, I guess, that Harrison has is that he's eventually going to make you know, have all the um, heroes working for him and then eventually attack Alchemax to destroy them so that what happens in their future doesn't occur. It just felt like a weird issue, a weird postscript. Um, It doesn't really... uh, I I felt like if this had been written in the 80s or 90s, it would have felt better because you would have been able to use narration to explain exactly who Miguel is. Because if you haven't been reading Spider-Man 29, it's a little bit more confusing. You can kind of piece it together, but it's... The pieces aren't... Again... Like you don't want it to have to tell you things, but at the same point, sometimes you have to tell the reader things if there's no way they could just read all new X Factor and understand it. Um, so I mean, gosh, I don't know. I I just said gosh. Um, it was just kind of a weird book, a weird ending uh, to what has been mostly a, an enjoyable comic. Um, good artwork, the story. I, I just felt it, it felt like a weird kind of, and now it's over. Uh, as opposed to it feeling more like a proper ending. And maybe it's because he's hoping to come back to it, but we don't know if that's actually going to happen. I'm going to give it a a 6.5. The art was pretty good. The the story could have been a little bit stronger, and I I definitely don't think it was the best issue of all new X Factor. It was nice that they got a nice 20-issue run. Again, I think that the fact that it was shipping so often was... Uh, a detriment to the book and its potential success because if I want to pick up a new book, even if I love Peter David, do I want to be spending eight dollars a month on a comic? When like, why isn't it just coming at once? If it's something again, it's weirder because if it was something like Avengers or you know or Spider Man, like one of these kind of big books, you kind of you're like, okay, well it's a big book, I can understand that they'd be able to support having an you know advanced shipping schedule like that. But a new launch like all new X Factor. I, I just don't get the the rationale, I guess. It always felt like a strange move to make it a, a double-shipping book because it just didn't feel like something that was going to be popular enough, to be honest. I mean, as much as I loved it, I just don't think it had the cachet in the marketplace to really support two books in one month. Um, next up is only X-Men 35 by Brian Michael Bendis and Mahmood Azrar. Uh, this is one of the most frustrating books ever just because it takes forever to get to the point. Um, and and I know that he Bendis does it in the you know kind of in the uh, hopes of characterization. But if I'm a fan of all new X Men, I I I'm bored. Uh, sorry, I am a fan, so I shouldn't say if I was. As a fan of all new X Men, I'm bored by this comic. I'm bored by how long it's been taking to get everywhere. The ending here again, like showing you something, then flashing back, and then getting there. It just felt very, like, every issue feels like it ends like this with something kind of happening, and then we're, oh, you know, and not even good. This is at least a better cliffhanger, but more recent cliffhangers have not been good. It's been more like, oh, my God, look at this on the screen, but we're not going to show you until next issue. Like, that's not a real cliffhanger. That's just you being lazy. I'd rather see it and and myself go, oh, man, and then we go to the next issue. I just feel like (coughs) this book was on such a roll, and now it's just stopped. I, the, the storyline with the future brotherhood was actually interesting I thought that was like kind of the last good story and now we're having this weird story with the ultimate universe and I just don't care and especially knowing that the ultimate universe is about to end I care about this even less um, so I mean the work's nice but the story I find extremely slow and uninteresting I'm going to give it a 5 uh, next up is Amazing Spider-Man 13, which I found extremely frustrating. Um, I'm, Although, technically speaking, I guess I shouldn't be talking about it out of turn, because they have the ridiculous checklist at the end of the issue, which isn't helpful. If you're you know, just picking up Amazing Spider-Man, and also picking up some of the tie-ins and don't know how to read them, you better read that freaking checklist first. Otherwise, it'll be confusing. Um, so I'll talk about Amazing Spider-Man first. I'm not a huge fan of Spider-Verse. I'm kind of bored... There's what one issue left, and it just feels like everything is is super dull. Like, I don't know what this I I don't know what I was ever expecting. I don't think I was ever really that excited. Um, I just think I was kind of like, all right, I I think part of it's that I was just I found the inheritors so dull as villains, I don't care. And then having Spider Man after Spider Man after Spider Man, it dilutes Spider Man in some way, and especially because. We haven't been able to see our core Peter actually be doing anything cool. Like, it's been a long time. Um, the works by Giuseppe Coley It's written by Dan Slott. Uh, again, I found it a frustrating issue. There's kind of a lot going on, but at the same time, nothing going on. And the whole sequence with uh, Ben Parker I found terrible. I just don't care about this recluse version of Ben Parker who gave up on being Spider-Man, retreated to a... Um, uh, to uh, What's it called? Um... To a bunker, and then his world blew up and got destroyed. I just didn't care. Um, the whole long sequence in the bunker, I found interminable. Like it just, it, I, I'm just like, are you serious? Like we're we, we're spending so much of this series, sort of the storyline, in either this safe zone or this bunker, and I'm just like, fuck, really? And then it just completely spoils the end of what happens in certain miniseries and tie-ins... which is fine. But again. I think it has to be more clear that what sequence you're supposed to read these things in so that you're not picking up Amazing Spider-Man and then reading the Spider-Verse team up and then reading Scarlet Spiders because then it's all been ruined. And even the end of this, I'm like, the whole other was not something I was a big fan of in uh, Scarlet Spider when that was being used, and I care about it even less now. Um, This whole thing just felt really painful to read. And I guess next issue they're going to go do something and they finally fight against the Inheritors. I don't know how they're supposed to win because, again, I haven't felt like we've really earned anything. Like, what's really going on? Um, So I I feel like Dan Slott had all this, this big idea and then the idea ended up not really being all that interesting and kind of feeling... Like a weird piecemeal idea. So, I like the art. I don't like the story that much. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. It could have been so much better than this. I think. I don't know. Maybe it couldn't have been. Maybe it was always kind of doomed to fail. I don't know. But I just don't appreciate what we got. Uh, next up is Batman uh, and Robin, number 38, by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Um This was fantastic. I really dug this. The artwork is obviously always fantastic. I really like Patrick Gleason. Um I really like seeing... Um, You know, uh, Damien kind of dealing with having superpowers, um, how even the the bad dreams he's having, all the issues he's having with being, why he has powers and what this means for him, how Batman's treating him as well. I mean, now he's invincible and he's taking all these risks when he shouldn't. Um, Extremely entertaining. Uh, Just, and and seeing like Robin fly is very disarming. But yeah, this was a fantastic read. Um, It makes. Robin Rises really feel worth it. The whole change in getting, giving uh, Robin superpowers feels like again like an earned element and it feels like something that isn't just been thrown out to the character but actually is going to push the character into new areas to and push the dynamic between Damien and his father in new directions as well. Um, this is fantastic. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Um, when Tomasi gets to really write Damien, I, he's the reason I think that Damien is even an interesting character for me to read at all. I think... Without Tomasi writing them, I don't think I cared as much about the character. But thanks to Tomasi, the character is just really thrilling to read. Uh, next up is Batman Superman, and this is issue number eighteen by Greg Pak and Artiun Siaf, who uh, I do love his art. Um, pr- pretty good story again. Uh, the idea of um, you know Superman's Joker uh, when it's revealed what the bullets are that are you know hurting people. Really cool reveal. Like just like. Kind of, kind of an awesome concept um the idea that deep down batman's really one that superman cares for the most i guess in the new 52 it fits more than it would in the pre-new 52 because he doesn't really have i mean i don't think we've really seen enough of the depth of batman and superman's relationship to really earn it but at the same time we haven't also seen him care for anyone else necessarily more although wonder woman you'd think Um, So I think that's why it feels like more appropriate That it would work in this universe Um, Cool, although the very ending I don't really get that That part didn't work for me as well That last page, I'm like, what? Uh, But the rest of it, fantastic Again, it looks great Um, So I'm going to give it um, I guess, let's see Maybe an 8 out of 10 Uh, I think it's definitely a good read and much better than Pac had been previously. And I think part of it was also the art. Uh, He was with artists who I don't think matched his vision and weren't very good at portraying the characters involved. Um, Next up is Batman Eternal 42. I can't believe we're that far through. Um, So this particular issue, we're getting closer and closer to lining up with Batman 28, I believe it was. Uh, This issue, let's uh, just see on the creative team. Uh, obviously, you have Scott uh, Scott Snyder and James Tynion IV uh, doing the story. Uh, in terms of the actual uh, scripting, it's scripted by Kyle Higgins with uh, consulting writers Ray Fox and Tim Seeley, artwork by Jed Doherty, Goran Suzuka and Roger Robinson. Um, the whole idea of what, um, I guess, Bluebird it is, uh, it does, feels really simple and easy and far too easy for her to be able to you know, take out the mad hatter considering what's been going on. It simple, it, I, I felt like it was almost too simple an ending to that aspect of the storyline. Although that shot of Harper with the hat was pretty sweet. Um, and I, I kind of look forward to see what might happen with Harper going forward. Uh, the part with Stephanie Brown was pretty cool, but again, getting closer and closer to lining up with Batman 28. Um, on the whole, kind of an awkward, oddly paced issue overall. Not the best art I've seen in the book. I'm going to give it a five. Uh, a lot of fives this week, I guess. Um, next is uh, Electra number 10. And I guess this is, I think, the second last issue. or I could be wrong. Maybe it's the last issue. Uh, sorry, it's definitely not the last issue. Sorry. It's either the penultimate issue or maybe there's an issue after the next. I'm not really sure. Although this is to be concluded, so I guess this is the last one. It's by um, W... Um, let me look at the creative team. It'd be nice if I could find the creative team. Um... It's by W. Hayden Blackman and Michael Del Mundo. Um, the artwork by Del Mundo is fantastic, very trippy and crazy. Uh, I really like the story as well. What Electric kind of does to Bullseye is very cool. Um, how she's kind of going through the motions to figure out kind of what's what's really going on. Very cool. Uh, I'm gonna give it a s- uh, I'll give it an eight. Uh, it is a solid read. It remains enjoyable um, every issue. Next up is Green Lantern: New Guardians. Now, this is an interesting one for me because I, I remember before I'd even read this, um, friend of the show AJ Reese had let me know that this this issue had made him sick, and then I read it and I was like, I don't I don't know if I really get what made him sick, but I also don't know if I really cared. Um, so the issue is written by Justin Jordan, artwork by Diogenes Neves with Roman or sorry Ronan Cliquette. Um well, first of all, like the first four pa- four or five pages, I just found really boring, and then the whole kind of Kyle and Carol trying to have kind of a relationship discussion. I just I found myself so uninterested, and then when they go up against like the big, there's like something kind of crash lands in Xamarin. Um, again, I, I just found myself really bored um, by the entire issue. And again, anytime Kyle and um, Carol have a discussion about the relationship, I roll my eyes and hate it. Because it just doesn't—it never felt right. It still feels weird, and it just feels like how should be like this young, immature kid, and that she should be this much more interesting, more sophisticated, traveled woman. And instead, they have these insipid conversations that I'm super bored by. And the artwork wasn't that great here either. Uh, I'm gonna give it maybe a four out of ten. Um, was it any worse than the other ones I've mentioned? A little bit worse, actually. I just I found myself so disinterested in what was going on, especially it's this, this relationship that I never felt... It never felt earned. It never felt like it was something that was... It just felt like this weird construct that was kind of shoved into the comic as opposed to being something that really felt like a natural outgrowth. Just because you spend some time with someone doesn't mean you're going to have this weird romantic relationship with them, especially when the man you originally kind of uh, stepped up to the plate to replace... It's his, like, long-time love. Like, it felt very awkward. Uh, next up is Justice League. This is issue 38. I continue to love this. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. Artwork by Jason Fabok is fantastic. Um, it's so well-suited for this comic uh, in the way that it's, um, the you know, everything's happening. Jeff Johns is really telling a, a very taut, um, thrilling comic uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I read this online, and actually I didn't realize it until I read that this commentator's... Um, Kind of comments on the issue that I realized it really is Red Zone. He's basically doing the Red Zone story he did with Avengers years ago, um, where the Red Skull releases. Um you know, this this virus that's, you know, killing people uh, around this state park or national park. And uh, the Avengers have to try and do what they can to contain it and then find a, a cure it's, as well. This is very similar in certain ways, uh, but now it's the Amazovirus instead. Um, I like the idea of wh- how why the Amazovirus was first started. The ending, I'm a little curious about what that means. But I, again, like the idea that Batman was being infected. The artwork really sold me on how imp- um, dire the entire situation was. Um, it was, again, the artwork is thrilling. Addition Fabok is probably one of my favorite DC pencillers right now. Every time he's on a book, I'm just like, I need to read this. It looks fantastic. Uh, he's part of the reason I even got into Batman Eternal to begin with, because he was d- doing a few of the, f- the first few issues, and they were just gorgeous. And unfortunately, the artwork has never really been able to go back to the heights that he gave it back when he started Batman Eternal. Uh, next up is Scarlet Spiders, number three. I really like the cover. I think it's really, really a smart cover. Um, having you know the three characters in this book, two of them are kind of the, the life signs, but they're white, and then the last one, the one that dies, is falling off the web and it's red. Very cool cover. I, I just thought that was whoever came up with that cover. It's really cool. Um, I guess it was David Nakayama. Um, fantastic work. Uh, Mike Costa wrote this, by and Paco Diaz did the art. Although you can kind of get the sense of what happened by reading Amazing Spider-Man that came out this week, Um, interesting issue. um, The art was never my favorite; it was always slightly off. Um, The characters looked almost a little too long and muscular, Um, and and the writing at times was strong, but at other times it it felt a little weak. Um, The I guess my problem with it too is part of this. You know, every Spider-Man ever. This isn't really like this isn't my Ben Riley. Like he's similar. Yeah, his storyline definitely mirrors the Ben Riley that I would say is my Ben Riley from when I was younger, reading comics in the '90s. But it's still not my Ben Riley, and I guess that's the disconnect with this storyline: is that they give you all these characters that are very similar, but they're not quite the ones you remember. Uh, it'd be cool if they brought back the actual Ben Riley; that'd be awesome. Um, but just to kind of have him around. But I like that that they at least try to make this guy have his own kind of characterization. That you know, he's this un- incurable optimist. Uh, who really be- believes on that good will win out in the end, which, considering his history should be a- almost the exact same up to a certain point, it's almost amazing that he even has that outlook at all. Um, and he kind of dies to, uh, you know, s- basically make sure that the Spiders can win. Uh, it-, it was good. It wasn't great. I'm going to give it a 7. Um, again, the, some things in the art and the, um, the uh, writing bugged me a little bit, but it was still overall a fairly good book. Um, next up is, uh, Spider-Verse Team-Up. Uh, this is number three. Man, there's so, so many freaking books. Uh, let's see. So the main story, or not main story, but the first one's called Too Many Spider-Men, uh, by Christos Gage and Dave Williams. And then the second one's called, uh, Bugged by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, who did story plot and pencils together with Sal on doing the finished art. So the first story, in some ways, just felt like, uh... It could have just been part of Amazing Spider-Man. Like, it almost didn't need to be a team-up. It was basically going up against Karn and trying to convince Karn to turn against his family and kind of enlist him. Considering how potentially important this would be to the overall storyline, I'm shocked, absolutely shocked, that it wasn't given more play in the Amazing Spider-Man. Because that's a big deal. And the, ama- the Spider-Man, kind of, kind of dopey and dumb. But the main part here about Karn was actually a lot more interesting. Even if the art didn't know it was supported. Um, having DeFalco and Friends doing the uh, second story with Mae Parker, that it's really cool to see them writing the character. It's just unfortunate that I guess what they were get the ability, like, she's really interesting, but everything about this Ben Parker from Another Reality is just not very, very interesting, not engaging, it's boring. Um, seeing more and more of that character did not in- endear him to me any further. Uh, although I did, I, I liked out all the work with May. I just wish that it could have been, I don't know, something a little bit different. Uh, I do like the artwork by Friends. I did like these writing by DeFalco. For the most part, I, I feel like this is probably more or less editorially mandated. I could be wrong. And so I think he did the best he could with what he was given. But I don't think he was necessarily given a lot. Um, I still don't think it's kind of worth the cost of this miniseries. So overall, I'm going to give it maybe a... I'll give it a six. I'll be nice. I'll be nice this time around. Uh, Next up is Spider-Woman number three. Ugh, this was painful. Um, First of all, it's Greg Land, who... If you like Greg Land, great. If you don't, then you're not going to like it. Uh, It's by Dennis Hopeless, writing... uh, uh, and I feel like the problem is that Spider-Woman herself doesn't get enough play. It's more, it's like half a Silk book. And again, the parts with Silk you kind of already get in Amazing Spider-Man, so it doesn't even feel that important. And then the parts with Jessica uh, Jones, sorry, Jessica Jones, Jesus, Jessica Drew, um, I, there's like weird poop poo like toilet humor used here, and like the Silk parts with her finding the bunker, not very interesting, and again kind of was easily covered in Amazing Spider-Man, so it didn't even need to occur here. And then everything with Jessica Drew felt, you know, I, I, it, was, it was almost better briefly mentioned in Amazing Spider-Man than it was given play in this own issue. Like, the whole interaction with the Master Weaver felt strained and, over, like, overly long. Um, the whole issue with her trying to send the scrolls felt a little, you know, like, not uninteresting. Like, everything about this just felt like excess. Like, it didn't really fit and the ending with her on that ship i didn't even understand what was going on like how how is even some of this happening um so i just found myself really not caring and the art is actually you know for beg land it was actually some of his better work i've seen recently but just the the issue itself felt weak um and and i just i I found myself frustrated especially with all the toilet humor i thought it was really misplaced Uh, i'm gonna give it a five and a half out of ten the artwork keeps it up but um yeah the story i was not that impressed with uh next up is supergirl 38 uh which was I i like that they're trying something different with the whole crucible academy i just don't know if i necessarily care about the characters involved but i, I appreciate that you're trying a new a new direction uh so this is written by first of all the, and the first bunch of the issues is not even about supergirl i guess the first page or two is just about connell uh, which, if you don't really know anything about him in the New 52, whew, this is not a good place to go. Uh, so this is Crucible Part 3 by K. Perkins and Mike Johnson, with artwork by Emanuela Lupicino. Um, Maxima, just the New 52 version of Maxima I don't find very engaging or interesting. Uh, I don't really care much about her. Uh, the whole Crucible Academy crew I can't say care that much about either, but again... I do think that there is going to be an audience for this book, and I think that it's really cool to kind of give Supergirl a team of other superpower people she can kind of team up with and be part of a crew with, and even the use of Superboy was actually kind of interesting as well, so as much as I don't think it was really for me, I do think there is definitely going to be an audience for this book, and I'm glad that this book exists for that audience. And I think that it's finally going in a, in a new direction that will be engaging for those people. I mean, I like the Red Daughter of Krypton storyline, but that was only ever going to be a short-term thing. This could be a nice kind of ongoing status quo with the whole Crucible Academy. Again, I'm not quite... I'm not super in get invested and engaged, but I at least appreciate that they're trying something new with the character to push the character in a different direction uh, for the fans of Kara. So I'll give it a six. Uh, and last up is Wonder Woman tw- uh, 38, uh, which continues the Dave Finch and Meredith Finch storyline, which introduces Donna Troy. At least now, she's not just hunched over in, uh, in guck. Um, at least here we get a little bit more I like that they're trying to develop the kind of idea that there's kind of this uh, this um, tug of war happening with Wonder Woman that between her duties of God of War and as a, kind of a leader and uh, one of the main people in the Amazon, Amazons as well as her you know commitments to her Earthbound life and um, comrades as well um, but at times it feels like they're, they're trying almost too much without letting enough of one element kind of uh, being able to breathe and develop. And also the artwork at times felt very muddied. Like, there were some shots that were great, great Finch work. Um, but there's also some other stuff that just feels so... Like, there's a shot of Donna Troy in like, the middle of the issue when she's holding a sword and kind of looking over someone. And I, the whole thing just kind of looks... Well maybe, maybe it's just over-inked, but it just doesn't quite look right. Whereas there's a shot a few pages earlier with uh, Wonder Woman... I think it's like one of the first seven pages where Wonder Woman's standing there with like her sword and just kind of looking out. And it's more of a poster shot than really telling a part of the story. But it's a good looking shot. It looks very cool. Makes the costume look good. Although it makes me wonder about the side. Like she's got that red top with like the weird ribbing on it. And then she's got like this, I guess the stars on the side. And I don't know if I ever really noticed that before. That she's still got like these red stars that are kind of just part of the red pop. Um, I don't know if it's necessary to be there. And I don't really like the cover either. It doesn't feel very Wonder Woman to me. Anyway, so I'll give the issue maybe a... I don't know. I'll be nice. I'll give it a 6. Uh, so that's this week's comics. Um, the, the comics I didn't get a chance to talk about include the following. Batwoman 38, Earth 2, World's End 16. Oh, I missed that. forgot about it. Fables 148. Man, that's close to the end. Infinite Crisis, Fight for the Multiverse number 7. Kitchen number 3. New 52, Future's N 38. Forgot about that too Red Hood and the Outlaws 38 Sensation Comics Featuring Wonder Woman Number 6 Teen Titans Number 6 uh, Trinity of Sin Number 4 Black Widow Number 14 Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier Number 4 Captain America and the Mighty Avengers Number 4 Deadpool's Out of War Number 4 fours fantastic four number six forty two. Oh, I read part of that and I was enjoying it. Gardens of the Galaxy twenty three. Legendary Star Lord number eight. Loki Agent of Asgard number ten. Looking forward to that. Magneto number fourteen. Moon Knight and eleven. Powers number one. Rocket Raccoon number seven. Superior Iron Man number four. I got about halfway and I'm not that interested. Uh, and then we have Wolverines number three. Uh, I'm already falling behind on a weekly book. Shit, that's three weekly books I forgot to read this week. Uh, looking forward uh, to January 28th, or basically today as I read this, uh, or as I'm, uh, as I'm recording this, uh, some of the s- kind of selected highlights coming out include a new issue of Aquaman, uh, the next chapter of uh, Endgame and Batman, um, Deathstroke number 4, Flash 38, uh, there's a Flash hardcover volume 5, History Lessons, uh, there's the Green Lantern by Jeff Johns Omnibus volume 1, uh, which I think will be uh, probably fly off shelves. There's Showcase presents the Blue Beetle the, uh, trade paperback, uh, and then looking over at the Marvel side, we've got Old uh, New Invaders 14, Amazing X-Men 16, which is the next chapter of the uh, Once in the Future Juggernaut storyline. There's the Cataclysm Ultimates Last Stand trade paperback. Uh, there's the Guardians of the Galaxy all new X-Men uh, crossover trilogy, of Gray, Grey uh, finally out in trade paperback format uh, for those loving the Hickman written time runs out storyline uh, New Avengers 29 is the next chapter of that uh, there's New Warriors, Volume 2, collecting the recently cancelled uh, New Warriors book. Nick Fury Classic, Volume 2 is coming out, uh, which is called Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. New issues of Nova, Secret Avengers, Spider-Man 2099, which is a part of Spider-Verse. And then Spider-Man and the X-Men, Number 2, which I really wasn't a big fan of the first issue, so I don't imagine I'll be reading that. Uh, Paperback-wise, there's Wolverine and the X-Men, Volume 2, A Death of Wolverine. There's Spider-Man Big Time, Volume 3, Complete Collection, which uh, I'm excited to have because... I would like at some point to, as much as I always will buy The Amazing Spider-Man singles, I kind of want to have everything in trade. So when Superior Spider-Man started, I started buying everything in trade paperback format. And then, and I'm a little disappointed about Big Time, but I'll get into this later. Well, I'll get into it now. Uh, big Time Volume 4, the complete collection, ends at like six ninety seven or something. So the Big Time Complete Collection will not have the death of Spider-Man. Instead, it'll be in some other collection, probably the Superior Spider-Man complete collection, which is a bit of a piss-off if you already bought those collections, which I feel like I might have to double dip because I want to be able to have everything in trade, and now I'm going to be missing, like, you know, three issues, and it feels stupid to be missing it, even though I have... I do have the singles, but I want to be able to have everything in Amazing Spider-Man, if possible, in trade paperback format. So I've been buying the Epic Collections, which will get me up, I guess, to at least the 90s, um, or at least the mid-90s, hopefully. I have the entire Clone Saga trade paperbacks. Uh, I never bought the JMS Complete Collections of Spider-Man, and I've always kicked myself, because now I can't find Volume 1. I can find everything else, but Volume 1 I can't find, so I'm hesitant to pull the trigger without being able to find that, because I want to be able to have that. Uh, and then at some point, uh, I hope that Big Time, not Big Time, uh, that Brand New Day will someday maybe make it into a complete collection, because I would buy the hell out of all those. I actually really enjoyed uh, Brand New Day. Um, but going back and getting all the individual single uh, like collections would be such a pain in the ass and very difficult. Uh, otherwise, I would have done it already. And then um, Uncanny Avengers gets a launch this week, as well as a new issue of Uncanny X-Men 30, which is kind of losing me as well, because the current storyline feels like it's taking forever um anyways that's everything that's coming out uh well not everything but that's the highlights of what's coming out on wednesday january 28th or as i said as i record this it's coming out today uh so thank you for joining me for this episode looking at comics released on the 21st of january uh if you want to email us or you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com like us on facebook Rate and review us on itunes and also subscribe to us on itunes as well Um, so I am Adam Chapman, I am the host, and hopefully we'll catch you next time, uh, next episode, uh, I'm not really sure what it's going to be yet, it might be an episode looking at the Justice League, uh, Throat of Atlantis animated movie, hopefully done with my wife, um, but it might, if it ends up happening, it might end up being pushed to, uh, I guess, um, episode 242, uh, so it may not be 240. Uh, so if that is the case we'll try and come up with something else for uh, episode 240 so thank you for joining me for this episode and we will catch you next time, bye bye